Welcome on into the show. My name is Danny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the snare campaign provocateur. And you know he's opting out for more money. It's Benny Horowitz. What's up, dude? That's what I do, chasing that <laughs> cheddar. That's all I do. That's why I come to the tune-up every week, you know? Just it helps pay for my mortgage, my gold toilets, everything I need. You opted out of your $44 million option to come record us today for a That's longer right. deal. That's right. I don't know if you know this, but when uh, a drummer licenses songs you get all of it mm. you know that 100 percent. i get all of it wait are you like, with me? like <laughs> no i'm kidding no i'm kidding of course i don't because of course i was gonna I say that's damn. why i'm wearing the same old junky yankee shirt i always wear i was gonna and say I'm, and i'm not wearing any fine furs or anything like that denny guess what what's last up? week a tornado touched down right by my house. I know. That's why we were off on I Friday. Know. And and I apologize to anyone who's tuning in, had no power for a couple days, Crazy. running off a generator, kind of, you know, being a little more, uh, you know, living off the land, I guess. Um, so, wait, it was so interesting. I, well, I mean, the, literally, like a tornado touched down very close to here, it missed the house. So nothing major on my property happened, but there were many down trees and power went out almost immediately. And, uh, you know, I got the two little kids. So the thing is, though, you know, when I first thought about moving out to the forest, (laughs) I saw some of this stuff a little more romantically, you know, and like when you're in like the pouring rain. And you're 40 years old and have never used a generator really before, and you're trying to troubleshoot in like a thunderstorm to get your fridge powered up so you don't have to throw away all your food oh, and shit. No. Uh, yeah, it's not as romantic in the moment. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was a lot more anxious than I would have liked to be. I guess uh, when you first do anything, you can't be supremely confident. So I was pretty much anxious and smelled like gas for 36 hours, oh, something man. like that. But uh, it turned on. It's funny, though, man, uh, just the difference... And, you know, when I was a kid and we lost power, uh, especially when I was in like my mom's apartment, I mean, you got a candle, Hmm. you bought a few more batteries, you know, just for the (laughs) flat. And then you just waited. Yeah. You just read books and waited like it could be a couple days. Who knows? You know, and now like my kids, you know, we have a, you know, a digital TV connected to Internet. They're so used to like these electrical conveniences that it is it is strange and they they actually lose more when the power goes out than we did when we were kids which is interesting you know yeah growing up in the sticks like the northern sticks not the southern sticks like you're in it was very much like you could lose things and you'd never know when it's going to come back on so you know you just got some board games i think one time (laughs) we like made ice cream you can make ice cream without electricity so crazy yeah, all you did was call PSE and G and wait. <laughs> and, you wait. Know? and now I got all this shit to do. It's oh. crazy. Like every three hours, I'm these these generators, <laughs> I gotta tell you, they're like it's like a car. Hmm. You know, like Just you're talking about car components. Wow. You got engines, carburetors, radiators, batteries, like everything on this little thing. So all of a sudden I'm like shocking myself on a battery. I'm like Doing ga- I'm like, oh, my God, I'm servicing a tiny little automobile right now. You know, it's crazy. I'm sure that there's a gaslight joke in there somewhere, but we're not going to get to it. You know what we are going to get to? We're going to get to this day music history. Let's do it. Do, 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 do. 
So, Benny, on this day in 1986, Peter Cetera started a two-week ro- uh. two run at number one. Say that five times fast and smoke it. On the U.S. charts with the theme from Karate Kid 2, The Glory of Love, it made it to number three in the U.K., and just a great summer movie. I think that that'll be played in parks across the world for all time. You know, sit outside with your blanket, listen to Peter Cetera, listen to Daniel Sun, just do the whole thing, man. Which one do you like better? Are you a Karate Kid one or a Karate Kid two guy? Because let's just throw out Karate Kid three. Uh well, it's interesting. I mean, uh, Karate Kid two is a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a you know it's maybe more. And and I'm not willing to just throw out Karate Kid three either. <laughs> okay. Because there's some great scenes in that <laughs> film. I think Karate Kid one, it, it's almost like Rocky one, mm. where it's kind of a different experience by the time you get to three. Rocky one is still a film that can kind of be taken seriously, right? To a point, you know what I mean? Like like it's meant it's half a drama. Karate Kid one still has these elements to it, like where there's more drama elements. Mm. By the time you get to three, we're way over the top, (laughs) you know, and it's like almost a different viewing experience altogether. But I'd say if I'm going to sit down and watch a Karate Kid, I'm I'm going one probably still. I don't mind the Jaden Smith one. Oh, see, I'm let's get back to Peter Cetera, also (laughs) of Chicago fame. (laughs) Of course. I mean, like what a what a career. Honestly, it's probably sad. You know, this goes to show because I feel like when you're younger, you know, your musical influences and the shows you get to go to are very much based off what your parents are are into. So growing up, it was a lot of Bon Jovi shows and a lot of Chicago shows. Man, I can't tell you Love how it. many times I would go see. I mean, granted, this was post Peter Cetera because I'm not old enough for that. Sure. But that's uh, a good gig. Yeah, man. It's funny. Um. I didn't know this. Um, apparently, there's two bands in, you know, because I've learned a lot about other cultures, uh, American musical preferences, you know, getting to know my girlfriend's family from, from the Philippines. They're a big uh, Chicago fan, and they are a huge into Earth, Wind, and Fire. I didn't wow. even know. In Filipino okay. culture, they do the Cotton Eye Joe to uh, September. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> That's pretty wacky. I've never heard of anything like that. I guess it's, I could see though how that music could be like, you know, cross cultural. Right. It's catchy. It's poppy. It's like, it's fun. It's, it's melodic. So it's, I don't think it's niche music. It's, it's America's version of world music, you know? <laughs> All right. You ready for mine? Yeah. 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 Let's do it. All right. On this day in 1991, mm-hmm. Pearl Jam played the club. RKC NDY in Seattle. And that show is filmed and used to create their first video for the song Alive. Mm. Uh, the audio from the show is used in the video as the band hates the idea of lip syncing. So this is important because this was like the beginning for someone my age. This was like the beginning of a lot of people's I, a new idea of what a live show looked like. Because you know, up until then, all I had known was like little punk rock shows with like 20, you know, kids in bad mohawks trying to dance in a basement or something. Or I knew like arena shows where people are sitting and, you know, kind of a different experience. But all I knew of these like packed club shows, people crowd surfing. And this is the one where Eddie Vedder like climbed up the rafters and jumped into the crowd and stuff. It was really unique at the time. 
And I don't think people, it, it was sort of like opening a window into what was happening in Seattle and the kind of scene they had. And, and it was part of the reason that I think that subculture of grunge broke was like no one had seen live shit like that before. And then the Smells Like Teen Spirit video kind of jumped on it where, you know, that crowd's going ape shit. I know like Onyx and Biohazard had slam around that time, which was like also like, whoa, what's going on at these shows? So it was kind of like uh, an opening a window into like a new kind of performance. That's what makes it super special. All right, to the hardwood we go, and you know we we finished the draft. We had a whole bunch of guys see their dreams last week. That was very exciting. It was it, it was cool to see that up close and personal for me on Thursday night. Some of the best dressed young men you'll ever see. Scotty Barnes came. Scotty Barnes, through. winner. Oh my god! I love that white <laughs> on white with the turtleneck. Looked dope. What is now? I don't want to get us canceled or or anything here. What is mm-hmm. the lightest skin tone you can have to pull off a white suit? Oh, Jesus. I mean, you can't <laughs> you can't be white and do it. You could be maybe half white. Now, but if you have nothing mixed in you at all, yeah. And you're just rocking white on white, I don't know, man. You like <laughs> That's just not a Yeah, that's not a badge I want to wear. That's rough. <laughs> But here, here's the thing, though. It's just about it's color. Yeah. You know what I mean? This is simple color stuff. And I can attest to this by the fact that I retire my white T-shirts every winter Mm. because I get too pale and they don't look cool anymore. (laughs) But once I hit, you know, April, I start getting a little sun. I start looking good in a crispy white again. So it's really just about that. We're talking about Chiaro Scuro here. It's not even a racial thing. You know? I love bringing out the white jeans. I'm a big fan of the white oh, jeans and the God. white shorts. White party. See, uh, I'm, Go to Point Pleasant with that shit. I'm preparing to eventually one day be invited to a Rick Rubin party. So I'm like, if I start to like it now, no. Anyway. Well, if you're going to Rick's house, you need linen. <laughs> oh, you need linen. linen. All linen. linen. I don't very, think I own any of that. <laughs> very breathable linens is what you need at Rick's house. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of people who have probably been to Rick Rubin's house, there's a bunch of moves going on in the NBA. The offseason is in full swing. Uh, we've got a bunch of deals, so we're just going to list these through from top to bottom, and we'll react to them. All right, so over the past weekend, Kawhi Leonard declined his $36 million player option for next season with the Clippers. He will become an unrestricted free agent. The expectation, however, is that Kawhi will negotiate a new deal to stay with the Clippers. Um, you know, there's been a lot of speculation all around this, but Benny, I want to toss it up to you like this. Is this a sign that Kawhi is committing to the Clippers long term? I think so. I mean, as much as someone on the periphery of the periphery of a person who says nothing can think so. I mean, this is Kawhi Leonard we're talking about. So he might be hatching a plan to the the Timberwolves and I'd have no idea, of course. But I get the sense. It's like, you know, he's an L.A. guy. He made this move to go back home and do his thing out there. And I, I mean, it feels like unfinished business to me. Um He's also coming, you know, into that injury year where, uh, you know, do you want to take that chance of jumping a team and not even knowing what that team's going to look like a year from now? If he stays at the Clippers, he still has some uh, level of control. So to me, this seems like a, uh, a way to just restructure something with the Clippers and stay. Of course, it's Kawhi, so I don't know. 
But uh, I think the big question now is like, what what do the Clippers do this year? Do you just treat it as a total setup year waiting for Kawhi to come back? Do you actually make a run for it with Paul George? You still have a superstar in the team. So it's going to be interesting. You know, I think that this is, you know, NBA players, when they're healthy, they're like, give me that one plus one deal, like the one year option. I think that this is a sign that, you know, he's comfortable with the Clippers. He likes their medical staff. He likes the way that they've handled the secrecy of all of his injuries and stuff like that. I think he's going to he may try to sign up for a five year deal. He has two houses in the Southern California area that are not cheap and have a beautiful view of Topanga Canyon. I don't. I kind of don't like that I know that. And like, I don't know Kawhi, but I kind of don't like that I know his like housing situation. See, he anyway. doesn't say anything, so people got to get Entertainment Weekly on him, you know? But uh, no, this is this is a, a thing that superstars do when they're not exactly confident in their injury history and their injuries going forward. Kawhi's not getting any younger here, so I think it's, it's the best case scenario for him to commit to the Clippers, play out his days in L.A., and if there's another championship there, great. But if there's not, I think he'd be pretty comfortable. Yeah, and to me, this isn't this isn't a KD thing because at this point in his career with the kind of stuff he's been dealing with, like, Kawhi is not as sure of a thing, you know? Like, like do you know Kawhi Leonard is going to be a hugely effective player for many years to come after this injury? I, I think you had a lot more... It would take a lot more chutzpah to do it with Kawhi and KD felt like more of a sure thing. So, yeah, I think he's got to stay. It's it's just like uh, it's too risky otherwise. Now, do you think that we see Paul George lock it up long term or, or, or is this very much like Paul tries to get paid this year by putting the team absolutely on on his back? Because I think his option is up next year, I believe. Yeah. I mean, again, this is all behind closed doors shit like. You know, I just read an article today that apparently, you know, Russell Westbrook was the one who started, uh, who was the one who called Kawhi Leonard first to try to go to L.A. And Kawhi leveraged that phone call against him and called Paul George and said, I'd rather come with you. So, I mean, these two are in cahoots. Yeah. They, they did this together. Um, so, you know, the idea that they're not communicating at all and coming up with a plan on their own, it's, it's probably not true. Um, and if they're uh committed to going for it together then you know paul george is gonna sign i guess maybe for him we'll see how this season plays out you know well well let's get to the guy that you just brought up then boy a blockbuster trade of all blockbuster trades happened this past week when the washington wizards traded russell westbrook to the los angeles lakers for pretty much everybody that won them the title outside of LeBron and AD in the bubble <laughs> right. last season. Yeah, yeah. whole bunch of pieces. Kuzma is now probably going to be dating Alexander Ocasio-Cortez by the end of the year. <laughs> what? I mean, that's, that's how that, that dude <laughs> goes think to, so, huh? that dude goes to the city and finds the, you know, the, the girl that has the most traction on social media and tries to link up. <laughs> that was so disrespectful. I'm sorry, Kuz. I don't know you like that. Um, but let's get back to the topic at hand. Do you think Westbrook to the Lakers makes Los Angeles any more of a threat in the West than they already are? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I know it's kind of like a, a popular opinion right now that just immediately talk about all the things Russell Westbrook can't do and the ways that him and LeBron James can't fit. Um but it's always like this weird revisionist history with Russell Westbrook. Like, does anyone remember what that fucking guy did towards the end of last season again? 
I mean, he's still a monster, you know, and now you're putting him with other monsters. I think, yes, they are better. I think the thing this does to the Lakers is like three years in a row in this LeBron AD experiment they're doing. They're just team. He's doing the Cleveland Cavaliers thing year after year after year where like they're just getting new pieces and hoping they fit every single year with no continuity. And that's a problem. You know, Mm. Uh, you see it happen time and time again. The other thing that concerns me about it is it feels like a regular season move. And, and, and to me, it's a genius regular season move because if there's anything Russell Westbrook can do and do happily, it's take the whole team on his shoulders for as long as you want him to, you know what I mean? And there are going to be times this season where AD and LeBron cannot uh, carry the regular season load. And when Russell Westbrook's there, you have someone to handle the ball, uh, penetrate, you know, really do a lot of the dirty stuff that like LeBron has to do all the time. So I think it's going to take a lot of burden off LeBron, particularly in the regular season. I think the question then is when people start honing in on that team in the postseason, what are you doing with Russell Westbrook and LeBron James and AD on the floor and how is it most effective? Because I still don't see any shooting around there. Um, and that's one of the biggest problems. So that's kind of my, uh, meh, uh, you know, not short, but I also think an under, um, an undermentioned thing about this trade is the devastating transition team that they could be. And two years ago, I, I don't know if I ever saw like, a a team that if, if it got a you know head of steam going down the court was absolutely unstoppable. LeBron is still one of the best transition players in the league. Russell Westbrook is one of the best transition players in the league. So this idea of like rebound and run on that team and just getting to the hoop quick and shooting 53 throws a game, like I could see them really fucking a lot of teams up like that. Um, it, they're, they're big guys. They're fast. They, they, you know, they're versatile. So, with the exception of shooting, I'm kind of excited about it. And I'd like to see if, you know, they can just add a couple more pieces to to figure that part out. Yeah, I'm very much going to take a wait and see approach with the Lakers because, you know, yes, there's th- there's three guys. But what is the team around them? Alex Caruso is going to be there. Um, I haven't really heard much talk about Wes Matthews Jr. I think he may be up for yeah. uh, another year there. Doesn't really matter um, much. Right. Thank- but, I think they'll ask for more out of Horton Tucker. Right, but he's a unrestricted free agent as well. Yeah. He could be on the move. Mm-hmm. Um, Andre Drummond is reportedly interested, uh, has drawn interest from the Houston Rockets. They're uh, prepared to offer him four years, $70 million, which I feel like he'd be a fool kind of not not to take that one last go at some big money right there. Um, So I'm really curious what kind of team they're going to put around them. Now, it's the Lakers. They're going to get somebody. They're going to be interesting. It, it's not like it, it, it's Portland, and they're going to have to try to figure out what team they're going to put around their superstars. So the Lakers will be fine. It's just a matter of seeing what this team's going to look like. If, if Taylor Horton Tucker is going to stick around, they're going to need him to take – another leap because i think they have 
close to $100 million tied up in three guys right now, the Lakers. So if the luxury tax is at $141 million for this upcoming season, that's not a lot to spread around to, to the rest of the guys. So you're going to look for veterans, you know, a, a guy like um, – like a Jeff Teague, like what he did in, in Milwaukee, like that kind of situation. There has been talk about all these other superstars. Your Spencer Dinwiddie talked about how he would potentially be interested in there. So it is the Lakers, but, you know, it's just going to be interesting to see what Rob Palenka can pull off and who he can get on a discount. Yeah. I mean, as far as Dinwiddie, like he – I saw him on Howard Beck's podcast recently saying that he is going to try to command five years, $125 million in the open market which seemed a little crazy to me. Um, and as one thing I can say as a, uh, you know, diehard Nets fan who watches, you know, every minute of their games, I don't think Spencer Dinwiddie is a 40 minute a night starting point guard. Um, I think he's a great player and I think he's really interesting and I wish the Nets could have him. He's a ball handler. He's a shooter. He's a leader. He's a very, very good player. And I'm not taking that away from him, but in the times where Dinwiddie was asked to fully carry the load, you started to see some limitations to his game, and you started to see it flatten out, particularly over two or three games of him being asked to do that. I don't know if that was just you know, conditioning and the fact that he wasn't used to it or something like that. I don't want to totally rule him out, but I never got the impression at that time that you could just hand the keys to Spencer Dinwiddie. Going from the Lakers to a guy who has been rumored to go to the Lakers. Let's talk about Chris Paul. We've been talking about Chris Paul a lot the last couple months on this podcast. I mean, but he keeps making to talk news. About. He keeps making news. So Chris Paul has declined his $44.2 million player option for the 2021-2022 season and will become an unrestricted free agent. Once again, the expectation here is that he will stay in Phoenix. But it, it it's been an interesting year in the sense where not a lot of contenders have a lot of cap room for the free agency so I think with Chris Paul it's a situation where he's looking for a longer term deal than just the one left and done stuff like that so a, a chance to make more money over a longer stretch of time that that's the goal here right so Benny I'll toss it up to you like this do you think Paul's looking for a long term deal or is this a play for him to maybe try to get to Los Angeles yeah I think LA is out of the picture now mm. I think you know, in the scope of the league, if you asked me a week ago, I'd say there's a chance the Lakers will go for it, you know, with the LeBron connection and the the moves they could make to make it. I mean, the obvious moves they made because they made it for someone else with Westbrook there. I think it's off the table. Um, you know, how do you even make that happen at this point? I think yeah. it's impossible. Clippers, I think, are in a similar position. Um, they also, you know, did would not have advanced as far as they did last last season if it wasn't for reggie jackson and they need to bring back you know someone who can uh score with his ability too because that that was such an important part of their offense so i don't see the la thing to me i mean you know chris paul understands narrative right mm -hmm. you know he's a smart guy he's he's been around the league he's the you know union chief he's uh you know state farm spokesperson like chris paul knows what's up and do you spend the last like year just, you know, touting this like father figure type thing to this team? DeAndre Ayton, come on, my boy, I got you. <laughs> like Devin Booker, this is my guy. And, you know, he's so underappreciated. You know, 
going to bat publicly, like taking on this real paternal kind of role with that team. And then just being like, nah, fuck you, peace. Like I'm ring chasing. I, you know, like he understands narrative. He understands his narrative. I think he understands his own limitations at this point, you know? Um, so to me, it's, it's foolish, like absolutely foolish for him to leave. And I think the smartest thing for Chris Paul to do at this point would be to restructure his deal to take just a little bit less and maybe get Phoenix another piece and, and, and really try to pull like a late in the game, you know, Dirk Nowitzki, Tim Duncan kind of thing. And, and actually, actually go for it with this team. It'd be nice to see. I don't know, but if he's on the Lakers though, with, with those three names kind of ahead of him, I mean, granted you transition into a completely different part of your career, but the pressure is way off. Like you're not like, you're not going to get blamed like he did in the NBA finals for costing your, your team, the series. But no, I think that you're exactly right. I think that, you know, he's going to try to, set it up kind of like this where he is a player for a bunch of years and then he transitions on to Monty Williams staff and then he can transition to his life as eventually a head coach because I feel like that's where where Chris Paul is going he's too smart not to that's right yeah that's right you gotta you gotta be careful like you know I'm learning this via music these days Mm -hmm. like it's not just about your performance anymore. Oh. You know, it's about your content. It's about your brand. Like this is what half the shit people are looking at. And if you want to play like Mr. Father figure for, for the last year, you know, go, go be their daddy, Chris. Uh. <laughs> All right. Well, there's one other potential deal we're going to get into t- today. And, Benny, Miami always keeps it super spicy. They always, Pat Riley's spicy always town. In, in his bag. But uh, the Heat picked up a $19.4 million option on Goran Dragic. Um, but the deal is, you know, the reason why this is interesting is because, you know, you would think, oh, he's going to be in Miami. No, he is a key piece in a potential sign and trade uh, for Kyle Lowry of the Toronto Raptors. Now, let's just kind of set the table because I know. Uh, you know, we, we got some hoop heads that listen to this, but essentially a sign and trade. You sign with the team that you're currently with, and then they trade that contract to another team. Um, so, Benny, I, I want to set the table for this like this. Do you think Miami gets his deal for Kyle Lowry done and then that we have Jimmy, Bam, and Kyle Lowry as a low-key big three in South Beach? Yeah, I mean, it seems possible. You know, the the thing that gives me hesitation about it is the fact that uh, this story happens three times a year hmm. where they just associate some guy with a worker's attitude and heat culture. And then all of a sudden it's the perfect fit and this is what they're going to do, blah, blah, blah. But here's my, my biggest question about this is like, are you, yes, maybe you should swing for the fences. Does Kyle Lowry, Jimmy Butler and bam, with the pieces you're going to have to lose to get him, which is probably Drogic, Achua, you know, maybe letting go of Duncan Robinson if someone gives him a big offer sheet, like stuff like this. Is that team better than Brooklyn or Milwaukee? I don't think so. Probably not. So, I mean, I think, you know, if there's anything the last few years have taught us is that teams who can stay healthy through the end of the season and not get COVID. I mean, this is the time in the NBA where – a very good team can break through to the finals 
uh, more easily than they could have a few years ago. So the idea that you're going to put together a team that's a three, four, or five seed and can be very competitive in the playoffs, that might actually win you a ring these days because of everything going on. So, I mean, maybe it's worth it. What are you going to say? It's very easy to associate Jimmy Butler with the bubble, but that almost right. feels like 10 years ago at yeah, this yeah. point. He looked older. He looked not as strong, not not as good during the playoff series against Milwaukee. I think it's very yeah. easy to buy, to buy that he are so close to the finals narrative because that was not that long, long ago. But a regular NBA season and a hybrid NBA season and a bubble season are completely different. So mm. I'm not sure Kyle Lowry... Kyle Lowry has a ring because of Kawhi Leonard. Like, let's make no mistake about this sure. right here. And I'm not, you know, I am, I'm sold on Bam as a really good player in this league. I don't think he's part of a, a big three. Now, with that said, I think that he could work his way into that. And I think if this big three is going to work, Bam is going to have to be the first or, or second option here. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think you're probably right. Because um, if there's anything... I think the anomaly in Jimmy's game in the bubble was the offense. Mm. You know, you're you're not going to see. I forget the exact numbers, but there was a couple games in those bubble series where Jimmy was like, you know, fifteen for twenty one. You know, seventeen for twenty five. Like he just had these huge scoring games where he couldn't miss. That you cannot count on from right. Jimmy Butler. Like that might have been the flash in the pan. The rest of his game is so solid. Um, but yeah, like he can't carry uh, and shoulder a total offensive load. So yeah, you could be right. This is going to take a step up from Bam. But that being said, now that you mentioned it, there were a lot of times last year you started to see Bam run the offense mm -hmm. from the top of the key. He can drive, uh, he can dribble, he can pass. Like, and he's young. Um, so the idea that Bam like could turn into more of a you know, I, I don't want to say like a Jokic just because he's, you know, not that good of a passer or a shooter, but that he could become a more versatile big that you run the offense through. I think that's a good point, and I think it might be right. And if you can actually manage to keep Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero on the roster around those guys, yeah, it's, it's potentially, potentially very devastating. But still, the thing I'd ask is like you're going to give up uh, Dragic, you're going to give up probably like Precious Achua, maybe, you know, some kind of uh, draft capital to create a team that still I, I can't see getting over the hump. Yeah. So that's where I'm not sure if it's worth it or not. Uh, it'd be fun to see. But we're talking about some some older guys, you know, Kyle Lowry this late in the game with a change of scenery. Like, I don't know exactly what he looks like next year. So, yeah, I'm uh, I'm skeptical on this one. So if we're looking at the Eastern Conference, right, as, as yeah. it's currently constructed, I think we have Brooklyn 1, Milwaukee 2. I would even go as high as saying Atlanta 3. Uh, and then, like, you know, Charlotte and New York kind of fighting for that, like, 4-5. So if anything... We're out, we're out on the Sixers here? There's been so many rumors about the Sixers. I, I don't even know what this team's going to look like. One yeah. day Ben Simmons is gone. The next day Tobias Harris is gone. So I don't even want to talk about them yet because I have no idea what that is. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's hard to make these rankings yet because of how much activity I think uh, the Sixers and Boston are going to have right. in the next week or so. Um, and you're still talking about, I mean, 
you know, it all starts from the top down. The Sixers still have Joel Embiid, who mm-hmm. went healthy as a top five player in the league. Boston still has Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, like this great young core. So I, I do think the East is still more open than we think. We've just seen a couple, you know, bad anomaly seasons in the last couple of years. I'm kind of starting to get high on Boston again. Oh, I love when you get high on a team because, you know, you run hot and cold because I feel like I'm more excited about Charlotte now than you are, which is very strange. It's a very strange juxtaposition here. Oh, no, I lo- <laughs> like Char- Charlotte next season. Well, first off, you know, wherever Mason Plumley goes, I'm a fan. That's my guy. You know, that was like my first proper rookie as a season ticket holder. And I, I thought Mason Plumley was going to be, you know, uh, one of the, the great finishers in the history of the league for a while. But that being said, he's a great finisher around mm. the rim. He's so athletic. And then you just added Boke Knight around the... Mm. Uh, around uh, LaMelo and and Rogier and Bridges. Man, that team is going to be a giant fireworks display every time (laughs) they play. I don't know how good they're going to be. You know, probably fringe playoff teams still, but uh, fun, real fun. What are we thinking about the Washington Wizards? Ooh, okay. I'm happy happy that you brought this up. Because I'm starting to really love Bradley Beal. Mm -hmm. Simply in the fact that all I've been hearing for the last, like, four seasons was... When is Bradley Beal going to ask for a trade? When is he going to get fed up? And all he's ever said is, I love D.C. I want to be the guy. I want this team built around me. And he's never strayed a lick. So now I'm really starting to believe him. You know, like this isn't just hot air anymore. Like with this trade, which I'm sure Russell Westbrook doesn't get traded away without Bradley Beal signing off Mm -hmm. on it. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I think he's part of this. And now I'm looking at this roster around him. And I'm seeing Thomas Bryant coming back, third year from Rui, second year from Denny. He traded for Aaron Holiday, which is a great backup. Pulled in, you know, Kuzma and uh, Trez and KCP from the Lakers trade. They still have Bertans out there on the wing. Wagner's a busy player. I mean, this is like a stacked roster of interesting players. And yeah. if one or two of these guys, you know, I'm thinking like Thomas Bryant can stay healthy and stay borderline all-star Kuzma can kind of, you know, be able to shoot the ball again and play where he's a little more comfortable. Rui showed a lot last year. I'm actually excited about this team and I'm excited for Bradley Beal. I'm like proper rooting for him at this point. Plus I'm, I'm excited to see, you know, Wes Unsell Jr. Got the chance to coach the team. Um, I, I think, I think in this aspect, Tommy Shepard, their GM has done everything right to at for at a bare minimum to extend his career in DC another couple of years because it was looking pretty oh, yeah. dicey there. Oh no, no. I think I think uh I think he's coming off as one of the more savvy GMs in the last couple of seasons because of what he's pulled off, honestly. And I think there's probably a lot of moves to still be made here. I don't I don't know if we're gonna see Trez and KCP like stay on this team. Yeah. There's not really a purpose. Big contracts, movable contracts. So I think there's a lot of work to be done still. All right, last hoops topic. Benny, you know, we mentioned it before, but the NBA draft happened. Uh, it was pretty no- uh, n- nauseating is not the word, but a lot was happening, <laughs> a lot of moving parts. Uh, it, was, it, it was easy to not keep your eye on the ball. It was kind of like a game of, uh, what's that, three-card Monty, where they like move, <laughs> yeah, 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 with guys going in different directions. But I want to know from you, what was some of your favorite moves in the draft, and who do you think disappointed? 
All right. Well, my favorite moves, I mean, I know there was a lot of talk going into it that Detroit had their eyes on someone else or something. This just seemed like the perfect fit from the start. Detroit, Cade Cunningham, not often does the best player available perfectly fit like your timing and your scheme and the other players on the team. Like he's not even clashing with the other young guys you want to develop. It's just his perfect fit. And he wanted to be in Detroit. And I'm super happy for both sides with that. I think it could be a, a lovely, uh, a lovely relationship going through the years. Now it's fun. I mean, I really think the top five of this draft are all don't miss players and can't miss players, which is so much fun. Um, Jalen Green is looking like a badass score. Mobley's got everything Cleveland will want. And if uh, the Olympics are any indication, Kevin Love is proper done. <laughs> and, you know, they need like someone to immediately step in there and play like 30 to 35 power forward minutes a night, which is great. Uh, Scotty Barnes is just like the perfect type of Raptor, the kind of person <laughs> they need. Jalen Suggs going down to Orlando was oh, just a coup. Yeah. And I think Orlando is is maybe the biggest winner of this draft because of, I mean, if you go through like the last 10 years of Orlando drafting, I think I heard Russillo talk about this too, is, you know, they are always one pick behind the guy <laughs> they need. It's been happening like this for years. And because of it, they always have to draft like, the young project, the piece of clay, the one that might turn out, you know? And when you saw the draft going into this, you thought they were destined for Jonathan Kaminga because that's the exact player Orlando drafts every single season. Now, finally, like, they just have this uh, bit of luck where a guy like Jalen Suggs, who you can just literally, like, here's the keys, buddy. We know we can trust you. And they haven't had a player like that in forever. And then adding Wagner... Out on the wing, a shooter and defender. It's a great draft. I think Oklahoma City had a great draft. Um, Josh Giddy, a lot of people are super high on. Then uh, that Turkish kid, Sangoon, late in the draft. Trey Mann, a couple picks after. You know, three picks in the top 20 and all players that could uh, that could contribute. I think uh, we're not going to get in. We won't get into Shea Gilgis-Alexander mm. now, but all I think right. they're nuts if they move him and they need to extend him and add him to all these young players if you plan on winning in the future. Um, I'm a little... I'm not that stoked on the Warriors oh, draft. Oh, really? Okay, I'm happy you yeah. brought this up. Um, you know, I think... I don't think Moody is as ready as people say, like that it's just this plug-and-play player. And Kaminga, with all of his talent... Uh, you know, he's not ready to run on a roster like this. And I could see him having, you know, some G League moments or end of the bench moments this year where he doesn't even get to develop. I think they would have been better off, you know, taking someone, you know, maybe that could play now. Like I, I'm, I'm usually in the headspace for most teams that if you're drafting, you just take the best player. You have to. But this is a rare instance with the Warriors where, a team that's ready to try to win now is here. And I don't understand why Wiseman was still so far away from his proper development. Now you're taking on another true development piece while you have Clay Thompson coming back. It just didn't make a lot of sense to me. And I don't think they had a great draft because of it. I mean, Charlotte's a big winner because Book Knight f fell to them. And, uh, 
you know, he's just kind of a perfect fit for the firepower of that team. I don't even know why he dropped down to 11. That was kind of crazy to me. So I think those are some of the best. And I know, you know, I know I'm a homer here, but for a team with no assets who made it as far as they did in the playoffs, man, Brooklyn did a great job again. They did like, uh, you know, Cam Thomas is kind of this perfect plug and play player who can play a little offense. All they let go of Landry Shamit, who, uh, you know, they traded for him last season for a late first round pick and gave up a late first round or, you know, got a first round late first round pick back to let him go before they have to re-sign him. It was basically a genius one year rental. Um, and they get Dayron Sharp for that, who's again, another plug and play player who can be useful right away. And then they get Javon Carter back, uh, who, you know, essentially could be a better fit with the program uh, than uh, than uh, Shamit himself. He's sort of a, almost like a Bruce Brown type player who can shoot threes a little better. So I'm actually really excited what they pulled off at the, uh, the end of the draft here. Couple things there. Number one, I just gotta give my my, my bucks grade real quick. And John Horse uh, resume of of poor drafting continues. Uh, they take this Mamu kid out of Seton Hall. It's like I get it, but he's like not that exciting. And then they yeah. take a Greek Eurostash. So it's like when you don't have the assets, you know, like when when all of your money is tied up in, in a couple people, like you need to. Get the draft picks like they had last year, like your Jordan Noirs, your your Sam Merrills. But uh, a couple of points that that you made that I just want to uh, respond to: Jalen Suggs, and I don't know if this this may not age well. I think he's got Derek Jeter qualities, meaning I think yeah. he, you know I I think he's got a winning mentality. He's got he's he's likable. He's he, he may be the most marketable player in in this draft. Like 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 I could see the next decade him being in Gatorade commercials and like stuff like sure. that. Orlando's super interesting. Um I think you know they just they just continue to plug away at it. Nothing to really uh that's gonna prop them up this season, but the future is very yeah. bright down there. And then with the Warriors, you know what's interesting? I think that they've had good drafts, but I think that they're not as instant gratification drafts as I think their fans would like. Like mm. Nico Mannion has had a great Olympics for Italy. You know, he's he's getting the time to develop, show what he can do against a a top quality competition. Wiseman is a little bit away, but so I think that they have have pieces that other teams would be interested in if they want to make the trades uh, mm. that they have to get back to a championship chip level. But it, I mean, the the number of elite players that are available to move, it's kind of dwindling by the day, and they haven't made any moves like that. A guy like Bradley Beal, who who they've long been speculated with, if he was going to go, he he probably would have left D.C. Be, before the draft. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, we heard because, you know, it, it's just easier to get assets back, and it'd be a better deal for both sides. Uh, a guy like, like Ben Simmons, I mean, it got leaked out what they rejected. They... Philadelphia and Daryl Morey wanted the kitchen sink from Golden State, and they're like, that's not going to happen. So it's going to be very interesting to to see what they do. I think for the long-term health of the Warriors, their drafts the last couple years, I'm like, like they've they've drafted guys. It's going to take them four to five years to become, you know, solid rotation and and starter guys. That may be past the Stephen Clay window, but at least it's, it's a healthy future in Golden State. 
Yeah, fair point. And I guess they do have a lot of draft assets. Here, here's the big question going into this. Yeah. Does Ben Simmons start the season as a sixer? They may not be able to move him. I mean, and, and I'm struggling to see where they would send him to. There's no way in heck Daryl Morey does a deal with Houston. I think no. that they have the space, and that, that would actually be a place where where Ben could kind of grow, and you know, there's not as as much much pressure. I honestly don't know where he fits, though. I think it could be interesting if if Del Morey trades Ben Simmons up I ninety five to the Knicks and just see and and just yeah. see, sees what happens. I think Daryl Morey is in what I mean. He doesn't mind making people uncomfortable. Right. He's one of the few GMs who I know will throw a player out on the court that doesn't want to be there that the fans don't like. Mm. He's done it before. Hmm. Um, so I think he's more willing to accept an uncomfortable situation, but there's something people are missing from this narrative. And maybe we know it because we're from around here. This is fucking Philly. Yeah. The people of Philly are done with Ben Simmons. Yeah. Done, 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 done. Yeah. So the, what's better for this guy's development and career and trade value? Uh, getting something of actual, you know, equitable, valuable now, excuse me, value now uh, before the season or taking that chance, throwing this kid out there. <laughs> game two in Philly, he goes to a 10 from the line. <laughs> the boo birds are going nuts. Philly's going crazy. They lose a game to someone bad. All of a sudden, Philly radio is cutting his kids nuts off. <laughs> you know, this is a different market around here. Yeah. Like, once the tide turns, once the fans turn, you got to get the guy the fuck out of here. And I don't see, uh, unless Ben Simmons comes out next year and, you know, goes four of six from three the first game and everyone's like, oh, here he is, finally, genius that he kept them. I don't know, man. That's one of those times I think that uh, Daryl Morey's finally found himself between a rock and a hard place with that one. I know that the deals aren't there to make this happen because I don't think, you know, Delmore wants way too much for Ben Simmons. But if if Ben Simmons could find his way to either Utah or Denver, I think that that would be a perfect situation for him to flourish because he, he can find the shots, uh, play for a good team, good basketball culture without, you know, being headline news every single day. I don't know why either of those teams do it. I mean, Utah yeah. seems pretty intent on bringing Conley back mm. um, and giving him a fair shot at running that team. Denver is a Jamal injury, you know, Jamal Murray injury away from like being one of the teams that could have competed in the West last year. Um, yeah, I don't know why you're breaking up either of those teams to bring a project almost like Ben Simmons now. You know, it's getting to the point where whoever takes him on is going to have to kind of cater their whole thing maybe around him. And it's seemingly uh, more um, reasonable to me that he goes to a smaller team. Now he goes to like a mid team, a mid market team who's willing to actually give up the resources and kind of change the style of their play for him. But he's not a plug and play player. You can't just put him into one of these systems and let him go. You know, I think of some of the best development coaches in the league. Um, and then I think of a situation like Chicago could be interesting. Have Billy Donovan coach him up. That could be interesting. Um, but once again, I, I don't think Chicago is parting with some of the assets that they have. You know, they, they may move Markin in for 
Ben and you know throwing a couple of their future first, but it, it's it's Arkansas restricted. What? He's yeah. restricted. Someone's gonna make an offer for him mm. too. So, plenty of ways to get in contact with the show. You can email us at the Tune Up Podcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on all the social platforms: Twitter, Instagram, TikTok at the Tune Up HQ. If you want to follow the big man, he is at Benny Horowitz one number one in your mind, number one in your heart, number one on Twitter. I'm at Denny underscore Gallagher. Benny, you got anything else? Thank you to everyone for listening to the program and have a lovely week. The show has ended. Gompies. You've been listening to The Tune-Up.